Hello, you're listening to No Such Word as Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today I get to sit down and talk to two of Toki, or otherwise known as Lolita's, former trainers. We have Mary Supa and Ali Hagen. How are you both? Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. We're so excited to be here. We really appreciate you giving us this platform to talk about this amazing whale. Yeah, thank you, Hazel. It's good to be back. I know, Mary, you were my first ever guest on this podcast. I can't believe it. Yes, I wish it was under different circumstances, but it is good to talk to you again, of course. Definitely. You know, these two women took time out of their busy schedules to jump on a recording with me as soon as possible to get this special episode out. So let's uh, have a little introduction of both of you. So, Ali, do you want to go first and tell all of my lovely listeners who you are? Sure. Um, I grew up always wanting to be a killer whale trainer. I feel very lucky to have accomplished that goal. I started working at Miami Seaquarium in 2011, um, started working up specifically in the whale stadium about in 2012. I worked with the Pacific white-sided dolphins up there for a couple years, started watching Toki, learning her behavior, getting to know her then, um, and then started working with her in 2015. And then over the next couple of years, became one of her primary trainers. Um, and I worked with her until June of last year. And when I left, I was supervisor of Whale Stadium. Wow. Yeah. So that's quite that's quite a resume right there. And um, Mary, obviously, the last time you were on the podcast, you spoke about your experience working primarily with the killer whales at San Antonio. And today you're here to talk about Toki. So can you give a little introduction to your experience at Miami Sea Aquarium? Sure. I actually grew up here in South Florida. So growing up as a little girl, my family would take me to Miami Sea Aquarium. And um, getting to see Toki, I knew her then as Lolita, as a little girl, um, she was the reason the animal that inspired me to go on to have the career that I have you know that I had when I was in the field and so uh, I feel like I, I I owe it to her to be here today to you know kind of share what Ali and I and so many others think is best for her so um, during my career I got to spend 16 wonderful years working with all sorts of animals marine and terrestrial and about seven of those years was spent um caring for killer whales so uh, i hopefully you know can share some of my knowledge of not only general killer whale behavior but also toki's behavior and her personality as well so i spent um about a year uh two years ago uh spending some time with toki at miami seaquarium yeah so not only do you guys have a lot of combined years of experience working with killer whales and specifically with toki but also very recently you know up until last year Yes, Mary was actually my assistant supervisor, so we were very lucky we got to work together, and I'm so glad Mary ended up back at Miami Seaquarium, and, you know, we kind of ended our careers working with Toki a little bit together. Yeah, it's a nice, like, bookend for you guys, isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. It is, yeah. So my first question is actually something that I've seen come up 
a lot from people that don't really know Toki, don't really know her history or her story. Why does she have two names? So Tokate has always been her real name. Of At some point during the course of the Lolita show, when it came to fruition, it was name, It was her stage name. It was given to her as a, a name for her, her show. So the Lolita show, kind of like this Shamu show. But Tokate has always been her name. We call her Toki. She, she goes by both. Guests kind of know her as both. And then, you know, over the past couple years, we've really been able to open up and just start calling her Toki as that's always kind of been her name and get away from more of that show stage name. But she goes by both. Fans call her both. Um, we know her as Toki, but either one's fine. Perfect. Nice to clarify that for anyone who's not entirely sure, like, are these two whales? Is this one whale? What's going on? So do you guys remember the first time, obviously, Mary, you said that you grew up going there and seeing her, but do you remember the first time that you were kind of beside her or near her as a trainer? I do, yeah. I So after getting my degree in marine biology and kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do, um, I went to the Miami Sea Aquarium and I interviewed for one of their internship programs um, and I started working in the animal care department. Um, and so I remember visiting her and seeing her and then, you know, thinking, wow, this is amazing. Like, I, I want to do this. I want, how do I get to be around this amazing animal? Um, and, you know, I'd never really interacted with Toki until many years later. Um, my second time around working at Miami Sea Aquarium, where I got to work alongside Allie as her assistant supervisor. Um, and I remember, you know, walking back up those steps and seeing her again, um, you know, with that cute little twinkle in her eye that she always has. Um, she really is a special animal. You know, she really is just an animal that inspires a lot of different emotions, I think, in a lot of people, which is why there are so many strong feelings about her current situation. You know, she's definitely a special animal that deserves all of the love and protection that we can provide for her. Definitely. And Allie, you know, you worked with her for many years. Do you remember that first time that you kind of stepped up in front of her of like, oh, oh goodness, like I get to work with you now? Oh my gosh, I remember how honored and excited I was to just be in the fish kitchen preparing her fish buckets without even ever getting to see her. I was just excited to know I was even prepping her diet and attributing to her care even in the slightest bit. So I was excited about the fish prep, but when I first got to carry those buckets up and drop them off to the Toki trainer at the time when I was the intern there, um, it's just overwhelming. You're just in awe. You know, you can say a lot of things about the stadium, which we can get to a little later, but it allows you to see her so close and personal. She's right there. Guests can come right up to the window. She gets so close to you. So you walk into the stadium and you don't even realize how close you can get. And looking in her eyes, like she really is just like magical the first time you see her. And I definitely was in awe. And I fell in love with her right in the beginning. And I just, she's the reason I never left the aquarium. <laughs> And what is their personality like? Because, you know, all three of us have worked with killer whales. You know, we know that they can almost have personalities that are sometimes as distinct as humans. So what is her personality like? It's, you know, she's, she makes me want to get emotional because she's so unique. She's a really funny animal. Knowing her personality, she's just so gentle. She's never hurt in a soul. She's always wanting to participate, you know, and all the times I've worked with Toki, 
there's very few times she doesn't want to participate or be around her trainers, even if it's just hanging out at the back wall and spending time with her and the Pacific white-sided dolphins. She really just has a very unique, gentle personality. And what about you, Mary? Is there anything you would add to that? No, I think Allie described it beautifully. She's she's definitely, she loves attention. She's such a sweet whale. Um, you know, of course, I think every whale, especially the females, as we know, have their fun, sassy side. You know, she's a very experienced animal. So she, you know, she, you know, she has taught many trainers over the years, uh, as all of the killer whales do. Um, so she's just a very fun, sweet um but still spunky, uh, spunky girl, even at her age. What's one of the, your favorite things that she's taught you? I think her patience. She really is just so patient, even with the new trainers. Um, and as you're learning her, she definitely gives you a run for your money. You know, she, like Mary said, she, she's been around a long time, much longer than all of her trainers. So she knows what she can get away with but she really is just so patient and she's such a fighter. She's been through so much. She's just under 60 years old. She's been through a lot and she's just such a fighter. She it's so admirable like she she really is an inspiration because she's just as sweet and as cute and as funky as she is. She really is a fighter. Yeah. And were both of you in the water with her? Because you like, like you said, she likes to get close to her trainers. She loves attention and affection. How much of that was a part of it for her and also for the bond with the trainers that are caring for her? I was very lucky enough to be in the water with her. Um, unfortunately, not when the stadium was open for shows with water work, it, but it was when the stadium was closed. However, we still were able to get in the water and give her the best care as needed. And, you know, care includes enrichment and stimulation. And one of her favorite behaviors to participate in is water work. And when, to touch back on her patients, I think that's where her teaching trainers water work comes into play. She really perks up, loves to teach trainers the water work. She's so patient. She's a great teacher. And being in the water definitely strengthened our relationship because she loves it. And it's it's just kind of remarkable to be in there with her. And I would definitely feel that water work and trainers being in the water was always so important for her mental health and well-being. Mary, do you have anything to add to that? Because obviously you've worked with killer whales as well who are with other killer whales uh, socially. Do you think that Toki, so much of her affection and maybe need for attention or how much she enjoys being close to her trainers is part of her not being housed with other killer whales? Or do you think that she would be like that regardless? I think that she would be like that regardless. I think that her, um, you know, love for attention is similar to what I have seen in other whales, you know, like Kamea or Takara or Sakari or any of the whales I've worked with in the past. Um, you know, I think they all love attention. And, you know, throughout the years, uh, Toki has also had lots of other animal companions of um, all sorts of species. Um, and so I don't think that it necessarily changed her um, personality in regards to how she seeks out affection from her trainers mm -hmm. yeah that's really interesting and um if we're gonna start talking a little bit about 
the current yeah. situation, which is the, it's the reason why we have gathered here today to talk about it. Um, when did you guys find out? I unfortunately had an inkling. Um, it kind of led to me leave, leaving, honestly, because my first um, inkling that something was a little off was when friends of Toki were kind of invited the first time to be a part of proprietary vet meetings, um, closed stadium training sessions. So I felt like something was a little off or we weren't being told maybe the full truth when this group just kind of without being told what was really going on, just started showing up and being a part of important conversations with regarding Toki. Um, so I think that's when I first picked up on something that felt off. However, I definitely think we were, I was hoping that this wouldn't be the case. And so I did feel a little blindsided when it actually all came to fruition, just felt in shock that this is actually, this was my worst nightmare or worst thought. And here we are. Yeah, so the Group Friends of Toki are the animal rights organization who have now partnered with the Dolphin Company who own Miami Sea Aquarium and some other marine parks around the world who have partnered together to try and quote unquote return her um, to home waters. So just for clarification there, the Group Friends of Toki were around the pool, they were watching your sessions, they were running welfare assessments on Toki. And no one ever really came to the trainers who arguably know Toki best to explain why they were there? Correct. And how did that make you guys feel? Definitely on edge because again, you know, the whole, we the stadium closed August, 2021. Um, and we were initially told it was because we needed to do some repair work in the stands to make them up to code. So we never really thought that the stadium was going to ever be permanently closed. Um, and so when the stadium was closed, we never had guests come up there. So that was kind of a closed private training session um, behind the scenes, if you will. And so when there was this group, particularly an, an activist group, um, all of a sudden up in the stadium being allowed to listen to these conversations, especially when Toki was going through some illnesses and some sickness, it definitely just felt off and of course without an explanation you know people just had questions and it it just led to a lot of uncertainty mary is there anything you would add to that no i mean ali's very accurate in her description um, of all of those events i i left the park before friends of toki was invited to come in and um, participate in toki's care I have visited the park since then. I've met the Friends of Toki, um, some of their staff. Um, but I mean, it, it, even in talking to them then, you know, it, it definitely seemed like they had an agenda, which obviously is very clear now. Do you think that in some way it's detrimental to animal welfare or animal care if trainers, who are the ones responsible for caring for the animal, are left out of this really important information, discussions, and ultimately decisions. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that it happens um, way too often. I think that it happens in a lot of other facilities and in a lot of other environments. Um, a lot of times the trainers are left out of 
of conversations and decisions. Uh, and not, not to say that every trainer at every level needs to be a part of all those conversations and decisions, but maybe their opinions can at least be heard and their voices can be heard because these are the people that day in and day out are caring for the animals and spending, you know, 24 hours around the clock observing them. So uh, we have to give credit where credit's due and all of those countless hours of observations uh, and experiences have to be uh, taken into consideration. Yeah, at the very least, trainers can be left to find out on social media. Yeah, it happens way too much. You dedicate your whole lives to these animals. You know, you work with them, you're around them more than some family members. You get to know their personalities, their dietary needs, their schedules, you know, not to be anthropomorphic, but what they like, what they don't like, what their preferences. And when you all of a sudden aren't a part of those major conversations, you are left wondering, we are the ones that know best for this animal. Why are these decisions being made by really strangers to her? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think it's really important to iterate that this is not the first time that a major decision has been made about killer whales in our care and trainers have been completely blindsided by it. Um, Mary, I don't know if you were working with the whales when the breeding ban was announced. I sure was. Me too. How did yeah. you find out? Uh, we uh, had a conference call the night before that it was made public to uh, the night before there was like a, and basically, a, you know, the news broke to the rest yeah. of the world that, you know, SeaWorld was ending their breeding program for killer whales. And, you know, the conference call was, you know, pretty much killer whale trainers and vet staff company wide. And, uh, you know, everybody was just very shocked, uh, and, and rightfully so, about that decision. And there was no, there was no discussion. There was no, uh, you know, afterwards uh, they did come and and meet with us, and we kind of had like an open table discussion. Um, and a lot of those discussions were very raw and very honest, as they should be. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I felt like those discussions, it would have been nice if they came before the decision was made. I completely agree. Uh, I was at Laurel Park when that news broke. And obviously, at that point, the Laurel Park whales were still part of the SeaWorld family. They still belonged to SeaWorld. So they fell under that breeding ban. We found out on social media. Oh, horrible. So it doesn't surprise me at all that this decision about Toki has been made without consulting trainers or vets or researchers or anything, um, which obviously, you know, we will get to. But um, if we're getting into the crux of the issue at hand, which is the fact that people now want to move Toki from where she has called home for the last half a century, <laughs> they want to move her back to somewhere that she's not familiar with. Um, how are you guys feeling? Lots of emotions, but I think, like Mary said earlier, our job is to put the emotions aside. All We're all feeling some sort of emotion, but focusing on the facts and truly, like we said, we are her advocates because we know her best. We have no agenda in mind other than what is best for this individual animal. So, of course... 
her pool could always be bigger. That's always been, you know, a conversation. Of course, her pool is one of, you know, on the smaller side, but it's been her home over 50 years. She's comfortable there. She's safe there. I just have questions about why, if we're putting, investing all this money into what's best for Toki, why are we not focusing on any repairs that we could make to her home where she's comfortable and safe? Um, and asking the questions to the people that we need answers from, the vets, how is her health? You know, we all know she's had some health scares over the past year. I've been a part of most of them until I left, but her health has been very up and down. She's relying on some very strong medication right now. Um, can she adapt to any of these changes? She's not stretcher trained. She's very averse to the small changes, you know, going along with her little funny, funky, quirky personality. She does not like changes. She has her routine. She's a creature of habit. We've been monitoring her water quality, her pool temperature, making sure her pool doesn't have any foreign objects in it. Um, so monitoring her habitat. So all these things really, to me, add up that moving her is not in her best interest. And Mary can touch a little bit on, I've never been involved with a killer whale transport, but many dolphin transports, and those are even stressful. So for a geriatric animal to be talked about being moved out of the pool that she's always called home, I, I know people want to see her and see this idealistic vision of her being released into a sea pen, into the ocean, reuniting, you know, with her pod. But this is just, these are unrealistic, sensationalized visions. This animal is for how old she is and what she knows and where her home has been. We're focused on what is the safest option for her. And I truly believe keeping her in her home as long as we can and doing every effort to keep her there would be what's best for her at this particular time. And you, you said about um, she's very, you know, she doesn't like change. She struggles with changes. Can you give any examples of, of that? Yes. Um, when we've had to change her diet, you know, if we had a, if there was a shortage on a capelin catch or if the kcals change in a certain type of fish and we change her diet, she does have some gastrointestinal issues and we've noticed she doesn't always feel as great. So diet is a huge thing that she's big on change. She used to always enjoy her salmon cut into three pieces and filleted, and she's not going to get that in a sea pen or the wild, and that's always how she's had her fish and what she's known. If we ever need to do any habitat maintenance in the pool or move something, um, you know, she she shows that she's cautious. Years ago, when a, when a new dolphin was introduced into her habitat, she spent a week on the opposite side of the pool. So she's just, she comes around, but she just doesn't, adjust to the changes um even the smallest of changes i have a question for my listeners um you spoke about her salmon being filleted you know she can't eat it with the head on you know you need to take the guts out you know she's a princess is that her choosing or is it for her like is it to help her um physiologically like is it behavioral or is it like a necessity we started doing it years and years ago um, before we could, so before we had a metal detector just to make sure there was no 
um, like fishing lines in it. That's mm-hmm. the original one. And I believe it kind of became behavioral over the years as that's just how she preferred it. And we just never really bothered to change it because her diet was still healthy and it, it just seemed how she liked it. So we always kind of left it. It was eventually altered kind of more recently, I think, to, you know, move her to eating full fish. But I'm not exactly sure how that affected her. But I know in the beginning, she just doesn't prefer. I wouldn't say it's what she prefers. Yeah. And the only reason I ask is because I know plenty of killer whales that if you try to give them a big handful, they'll shut their mouth. They're like, no, I don't like to eat like that. You can feed me one herring at a time, please. Or if you go tail first, they're going to spit it out. They're like, no, I want head first or nothing. That is Definitely would feed her. She prefers one or two herring fed gently into her mouth, placed into her mouth at a time. She likes neatly packed little handfuls of capelin, you know, to toss perfectly in the back of her mouth. So she's funny. But again, you know, these are things that we do for her and is part of her routine and that she appears to enjoy and those are things I just don't think are worth messing with or altering with or changing all of these things for this 60-year-old animal, almost 60-year-old animal. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned, and I think, you know, anyone with eyes can see that that pool is too small for a killer whale. We're all well aware of that. You know, she should have been moved a long time ago, but the truth of the matter is she wasn't moved. And now we have a duty of care to this, like you said, geriatric animal who is you know, her health is very fragile. What do we do? So for both of you, you think the best thing for her would be to stay where she is? I do. I think if that is a possibility, I think that that should be everyone's kind of first choice. And I think that, um, you know, when whenever we're, anybody is considering this or making a decision about it or formulating an opinion, I think that to really do right by Toki, we have to kind of remove all of our feelings and our emotions about the entire situation from her environment to the behavior and all of it. And I think that we just have to look at what we think is going to be right for this individual in her situation. And I think we kind of already touched on some of those things, but you know, we talked about how sensitive she is to changes, whether those be changes to her diet, changes in her environment, um, changes that are outside of our control, you know, with weather or things like that. And anything that can cause her to go off behaviorally, which we have seen, and I've seen it in other whales in the past, you know, maybe construction or something like that disrupts them or a project or whatever it may be, uh, you know, music, sounds, you know, other animals nearby can cause them to go off behaviorally, meaning maybe they're not doing their normal patterns. And sometimes that includes not eating in, in a normal schedule. You know, if you have a whale who is as old as Toki, you know, in her late 50s, who does have some chronic health issues, you have to like, you have to take all of those things consideration into consideration. And that definitely adds to how risky it is to move her anywhere, whether that's four hours up the road to SeaWorld or 3000 miles across the country. You know, she's definitely a whale that is um, dependent on, on people. And not only is she dependent on people, but she is very particular in what she 
appears to enjoy. And I think part of that is how she's been conditioned over the years. And part of that is absolutely her individual killer whale personality. Um, I think that, you know, she's, she's been under human care for so long. She does have the chronic uh, health issues and getting older, those things don't go away. They become more and more frequent, um, you know, no matter, no matter what species you are, um, you know, and she does have some really strong bonds. And I think that we just really have to look at it from a scientific and a logical point of view versus what's going to make us feel the best. I feel like we have to ask ourselves the question when we're kind of analyzing every aspect of this situation is what is going to provide Toki with her best, safest rest of her life, however long that is, because I feel like she deserves it. I love that. And you know, there's actually uh, one of my friends, Esther Verhoeven, she did a TEDx talk and it's called Loving Animals to Death. She's a dolphin trainer at the Harderreich Dolphinarium here. And anyone listening, it's 15 minutes long, YouTube it. It is fantastic. She speaks so eloquently about that exact issue, how animal welfare does not always equal animal rights. So, you know, you've mentioned Toki isn't stretcher trained. She struggles, you know, with a lot of change, even something so small as changing her diet. You know, it could be a physiological issue, psychological issue to these changes. Um, a lot of people who haven't worked with marine mammals or killer whales might not understand the amount of stress that a transport causes on any animal, a young animal, a healthy animal. Mary, you have some experience with marine mammal transports. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. You know, Toki, she's she's not stretcher trained. And a lot of people, I think, are are throwing this word around, oh, just transport her here, transport her there. Like, you know, it's a as easy as, you know, taking a road trip. But, you know, unfortunately, the reality of it is a transport procedure is a huge deal for the animals because it, it involves a lot of change for them. So when you already have an animal like Toki, who uh, is an older animal who does have um, those health issues that we kind of already touched on, you know, who isn't stretcher trained, transports involve, you know, dropping the water in their pool, lots of loud, heavy machinery, cranes to lift them out of the water, being put into a large um, box full of salt water, you know, so all of those things would even for, um, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an expert on killer whale transport by any means, but I have been present many years ago um, for one of the last transports uh, that we did at SeaWorld. And for even the younger, healthier whale that was transported at the time, you know, there's always some risk involved. So that's another question that we just have to ask ourselves, you know, are we are we okay with and not are we okay with because our feelings shouldn't matter but is it the best situation for toki for her to have to undergo all of those things so that she can move to another facility when like ali was saying you know maybe we can take these billions of dollars that are being used for other purposes and put them into her current facility so that we can just provide her with the safest space to live out the rest of her life. You know, I think there's a, a good reason why a lot of these uh, so-called plans for her 
um, you know, CPEN facility are so vague. Um, and, and the fact is that there are no real plans. You know, this is a decision that is not necessarily, at least it appears it is not being done with her best interest in mind. It's, it's being done because financially it's convenient for uh, the Dolphin Company and um, it pushes the agenda of the Friends of Toki group. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a win-win for everybody except for Toki who Ooh, should be yeah. the main focus of all of this. So all of this is kind of being done, not with her welfare in mind, but at her expense. And that's just kind of how I see it. Yeah. And well, Ali, as someone who worked at Toki for so long, what would your fears be specifically with regards to her during a transport? Well, certainly the fact that she's never been transported. She's never left that pool that she's in. She's only even been dropped on, as in we drop the water to do veterinary procedures or um, work on any descents, only a few, a less than a handful of times. So each time and as older as she gets, there's more risks involved. And I just don't know if it's worth all the stress that it would put on her to move her. Um, so I have definitely concerns about that. And like Mary was saying, what is in the best interest of Toki without all these other third parties that don't know her best way? And we really haven't heard any of the answers that need to be answered for this to even be considered. Where, where are the plans? Where are the permits? What is Noah's take on this? Um, you know, she's technically an endangered, un protected under the Endangered Species Act, so it's really actually unethical to release her. There's so many hoops and ropes you need to jump over and climb in order for this to even happen or be an actual conversation. So, you know, the, a release, a C-pen, a transportation, all those things kind of are just so far in the distance for me because we need these first questions answered regarding Toki's current state, her health, her condition, and where the experts stand on this. Not the activist group, not the current new company that is, you know, in it and looking at it from a financial standpoint, not a random third party owner of a football team sensationalizing everything. We need answers from actual scientists and people that could approve these decisions. See, that was the weirdest part for me when you read when I read the, the press release. They're saying, oh, she's going to be taken back to home waters within 18 to 24 months, but they don't have federal approval. They don't have a C-pen bill. Toki is not trained for transport and she's still battle battling health issues. Like, in what world is this whale going to be moved across the country in two years, even if everything was perfectly in place now? Which again poses the question, why was this press conference held? Why was it pushed out there at this time? Why was it, is it being broadcasted as, a, as if this is the plan? What are the intentions behind it? Because there's really nothing in place at this moment. I mean, I think we all know why. It's a PR stunt. She's costing Absolutely. them money. It's, it's the friggin' storyline of Free Willy. And we're about to make the same mistake all over again. Why does it, we know the story of Free Willy and Keiko. We know where that went. We know the millions and millions of dollars it cost for the Keiko project to take place and the failure that it was. 
And, you know, it's really sad when you hear that people think the Keiko release was a success when that animal was left really abandoned with the fun because there was no funds. Trainers were forced to back out because of, of the unethical decisions happening. And, you know, Keiko was by himself chasing boats, seeking human attention, not integrating with pods well and died what alone and with pneumonia. It's that's not a success story. Toki not only a, that, like 10 months after he was released. In yeah. what world is that a success? Yeah. And, you know, I think going back to even like her pool size, for example, even with her pool size and everything that people say about me, she is one of the orcas under human care. She's almost 60 years old. She's almost past the estimated lifespan of killer whales in the wild that is a testament to the care she's received even in that pool she's always gotten the best love and care and certainly I wouldn't have worked there if that wasn't the case for so long I know you know Mary can speak for herself but we love this animal so much we would be the first people in line to be like yes let's release her let's do this but unfortunately that's not the case that's not what's best for her we didn't put Toki in this pool but she's here and we it was our responsibility for years to give this animal the best quality of life with what we had. And honestly, moving her is not what's what we as her caregivers think would make her life better in any way. We actually think the opposite. It would stress her out and cause some serious health effects if we were to move her. I mean, especially I think if, if, yeah, especially across the country. I think if we use even a more recent example of sea pen relocation of the two beluga whales that were moved um, to the sea pen in Iceland, which was actually Keiko's original sea pen, you know, they were two animals that were only in human care for about, I think it was like five years. They were still very young animals. They both had each other. In every instance of like Keiko's relocation and also these beluga whales, they were first moved to a different man-made facility so that they could adjust. Let's just put that out there. They were not immediately put in the ocean. And then looking at Little White and Little Grey, the two beluga whales trajectory at the moment, they're, they're in that man-made facility. They're not in the sea pen anymore. They were put in the sea pen and then taken out of it again over welfare concerns because they weren't doing well in the sea pen so I think a lot of people have you know that free willy the end of free willy like he's free and he's with his family and everything's amazing life isn't a movie and that's so far from the reality that would be awaiting Toki if she was moved across the country that's such right. a good point and she's like we said she's on these meds she's been on them long term what is the plan in this, even if it's a C-pen, where is the possibility for a med pool or the ability to get her the health care, the samples you would need on her, the ability to drop on her and give her medications like she's had to been getting the past year? What is the plan with this C-pen? There's really no way to give that animal the best health care that she needs in something like a C-pen. Definitely. Mary, do you have anything to add to that? No, I mean, Ali is absolutely correct. If 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 that you know we're we're so far away from from all of this becoming a reality but if it did you know what's the contingency plan when the c-pen doesn't work out you know there's no facility nearby that is 
readily available that can house a 7,000 pound killer whale. And what are you going to do when behaviorally she goes off and she stops eating because of all of these huge changes, which is something we've seen her do with big changes in the past. And that it's very common for other animals as well. But of course, when you're an older animal, those things become higher and higher risk. Um, you know, there's there's no place to drop the water. There is no medical pool to have her swim into so that you can raise the floor and, you know, take care of her uh, like she needs to be taken care of. So, yeah, those are all things that no one's talking about because you can't work those into your magical, you know, story. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not bashing sea pens at all. You know, I think natural yeah. lagoons can be fantastically enriching for animals you know they have their own pros and cons you know just like man-made facilities do you know no neither situation is perfect nor is the wild far from it so you know none of us are saying that oh god sea pens were totally against them because I don't think if you're on the side of animal welfare I don't think you can be I think you know you can always entertain the idea for every animal but not every animal in every situation is going to fit that change and I don't think that Toki's situation fits it at all yeah I think that's a really good point you know we're we're definitely not against a sea pen um, or other natural type of habitat but I think just for this individual discussion on Tokite um, yeah I, I definitely don't think that that is probably the best environment for her in her situation and the situation I think that she's going to be facing health-wise as an older animal. Definitely. Now, you know, sea pen for her 30 years ago is a different conversation. There's nothing wrong with sea pens. Like you said, you said it really well, both of you. But for this particular case, this individual animal, that's what we're fighting for. We might not know all animals well, but we know Toki well, and we just don't think this is necessarily in her best interest. So what do you think could be done with the money that's available? You know, because we've had, we've discussed, you know, the dolphin company, I'm very much of the opinion, I think they're doing this for a PR stunt. Toki is not making them any money. She's not allowed to make them any money at the moment under USDA guidelines. So this is the best option for them from a business perspective. And I would even agree if I was a business person looking at the bottom line, I'm like, yeah, this is a great idea. But a business person is not the one that should be making the decisions about this animal. So in your opinion, what could be done with the money that's available to improve her welfare and her quality of life where she is right now? Again, ideally, you know, Look, if money wasn't an issue and uh, we could build her, there's room in that park to build her a new pool. We've tried in the past years and years before my time. There was, you know, a, a time where they tried to push through the approval to build her a new exhibit and it was shut down for whatever reasons. Um, but again, I'm not ruling that out, but, it, but that does take years and lots of money. And why would... Perhaps they want to invest into a new stadium if they're not going to get their return on on it. Um, so I just think also not giving up on her current stadium, putting the money into the foundation work that needs to be done to fix the stands, money into the water quality there, improvements around the pool for enrichment and for dietary needs, a training staff, veterinarians continuing to source all the money in to just give her the best quality of life where she's at um, 
I think is a better use of funds and also a more realistic use of funds because something like a transport and a C pen, those funds, just like with Keiko's story, are you ever worried they're going to run out? That C, those C pen, there's continuous amounts of money, millions of dollars that would need to be poured into that. So I just think the use of money would be better focusing on something closer to home for her, whether that's her stadium, a stadium nearby, um, is where I think the money should be invested. You made a really good point as well, saying, oh, why would they, or previously, you know, why would they invest into making a new pool for Toki where she is that can be larger, more enriching, if they're not going to see a profitable return on it, i.e., Toki's she, her she's of an advanced age you know for how long are they you know really going to be using that pool to house her if it's really about Toki and her welfare they shouldn't care about profitable returns right because if they're relocating her to a sea pen in the name of her welfare and doing what's best for her if we can assess it with scientists and say actually What's best for her is for her to stay where she is. We build something new for her, something bigger, more enriching, more naturalistic. They should be all for it. You would think. Absolutely. If that's what it really was about. Yeah, so we kind of have our answer. <laughs> and I also think it's important to touch that in the press conference, it was announced that her two Pacific white-sided dolphins companions would be going with her which is just kind of opening up a whole other can of worms. But I think it's important because, of course, we care about Toki and love her so much, but we care about all of our animals equally, not just the big, glamorous killer whales. So we have two animals, Lee and Loki, that have been in our park and for over 30 years and are considered very geriatric Pacific white-sided dolphins. They are being included or clumped into this group. They actually referred, were referred to as her pets which just kind of goes to show... Oh my God, no, by who? Believe one of the people at the press conference when it was announced on Thursday. Okay, that is shocking. Yeah, and Pacific white-sided dolphins are not found uh, in the area where this proposed sea pen is going to be located. So moving one animal to a place where people's feelings are that she should be, but what about these other animals that are not naturally found there and what does that do to their well-being when they are two of uh, the oldest pacific white-sided dolphins under human care in the entire world and we can also think about you know just coming back to toki's health you know we've spoke about the fact that she is an endangered group of killer really you know she's one of the southern residents is it ethical for us to put a whale that we know is sick into waters that she would then share with the endangered southern resident killer whales? That's such a good point. And in previous years, you know, this is not the first time that this has been, uh, there has been an official conversation about, you know, moving Toki um, back to the Pacific Northwest. And when it has come up previously, um, even Noah commented that, you know, there there is great concern for um, the risk of pathogens and disease transmission uh, and from her potentially to the current southern resident population, which is an endangered population of killer whales um, that has been in decline over the last 
a couple of decades and continues to be trending in that direction. So, you know, it, it seems like it is in the best interest of both Toki and the Southern resident population um, if they were to stay separate. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add to that, Ali? No, Mary had a good point. You know, there's so many issues alone with the population of the Southern residents. You know, we've been speaking about it and during our shows and our conservation presentations, talking about, you know, the depletion of the salmon and, and the food out there, the toxins and pollutants um, from chemicals in the water, disturbance and noise pollution from, you know, ships. There's so many issues alone that the Southern residents face and adding Toki into that mix or also exposing Toki to that mm -hmm. already population is what what's the end goal here what who is that benefiting yeah I think it's so much more complicated than the average person might realize and you know I think to some extent even the people that are involved with the project um which is where we need to really push for it and I know the group Truth for Toki are doing a great job in trying to push for you got to talk to the scientists, you got to talk to the researchers and the trainers that know her. And this is where I want to mention something that I've noticed that's incredibly positive um, that's come out of this since the, the news was, was kind of broken about this story, is the industry-wide coming together that has happened between researchers and trainers. It's like nothing I've ever seen before. And like trainers were so used to being told not to say stuff, like don't say anything, don't speak out. And, and we kind of like, I don't want to say we cover for each other because we don't have anything to hide, but we're so afraid of our words being taken out of context or the slightest thing being used against us that we'll just, we'll back each other up. We'll be like, yep, absolutely. We form this wall. And now it's almost like that's been flipped on its head. And we're like, we're not going to stay silent anymore. Like we, we are going to speak up for our animals. Definitely. You gave me goosebumps with what you said. You know, it really is amazing to see everyone come together. You don't love the circumstances it's under. But for me, it was so sad when the stadium closed originally. And then when we were eventually told a couple months later that it wouldn't be back open again to the public because that's why we have our animals there, right? Our animals serve as ambassadors for the species, species to inspire those that come visit, to teach them about the wild populations. You know, I would get emotional during my whale shows, just interacting with the guests after show or seeing people's faces and seeing how much they're falling in love with Toki because she's so amazing and they see that too. And so it was really hard when the stadium closed because we weren't able to convey that message. And I feel like that was taken away from Toki too. So even behind, with the stadium closed and and us not being allowed to talk about Toki, that was part of the um, contingency. We couldn't post about her. We, could, You know, it was kind of sad. It was like, she almost doesn't exist, but we were still there giving her care every day. We just couldn't talk about her, post about her, educate, you know, people with like utilizing her. So to see the, that no one's forgotten her and actually people that love her, and whether it's fans or people that have worked with her or have visited from another facility, 
stepping up and speaking out. And honestly, the support we've gotten and people agreeing with us has really been so amazing to see that we all really are fighting for Toki together. I think it, like like you said, it almost brought me to tears when I saw it. I was like, we are this massive group of individuals who love animals. We are animal lovers at heart and we will literally move mountains to do what is best for our animals. But we are the ones that historically don't have any power. We don't have any say in what happens. And the only thing that we can do is use our voices and our knowledge. And, you know, I think anyone that's listening to this, if you're thinking, oh, but we haven't heard anything out of trainers that are currently working there or trainers who are working at other parks that are owned by the Dolphin Company, think about why that is. Because trainers still have a job to do. And the ones that are currently there want to be there with the animals that they know. And they will do whatever they have to, including staying silent, to make sure that they can be by their animals' sides. So it's up to us to talk for them. Such a good point. We know we have trainers in there still working with Toki, fighting for her on the inside. And I don't want them to leave. You know, they know her so well, too. So we can't forget about them because I do remember what it's was like to when I worked there you're kind of in this space where you you can't speak on how you really feel or you can't really communicate to the outside world but you are fighting on the inside and so you don't want to forget about those people but there are trainers and people there that still love her so much and and we support them 100% from the outside now absolutely and I think to just kind of echo what you guys said this is this is the time where for those of us who maybe are no longer in the field or maybe we still are, but we are in a position to speak up, um, it has been overwhelming the response that, you know, this has gotten from, from everybody involved. And this is the time to speak up because this is, you know, this is the fight to basically save Toki. And so, you know, there are so many different ways that people can get involved in this fight in different different capacities. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, speaking up. There's the petition, um, you know, and if anybody hasn't signed it yet, thank you for sharing it earlier today, Hazel. Um, you know, the petition has gotten a lot of um, signatures in the last couple of days. And so we definitely want to keep that momentum going. And, you know, if following Truth for Toki for the most accurate information and um, all of that good stuff and just sharing with friends and family. Um, and it doesn't always have to even be in a public forum, but the more people know about this, the more that they can, you know, have access to the accurate scientific information, which is what everyone's going to need to be able to make an educated decision about this. And all of and the relevant links will be in the description of this episode as well. Thank you, Hazel. You know, we started just a group of trainers coming together to talk and say, what can we do? And really, like Mary said, just speaking up was the first key. So we bear with us because we've had such an overwhelming positive response of incoming messages. How can we people help? What can we do? The change petition is the first thing. Um, but follow our, we have Facebook pages, we have an Instagram page, we're getting a Twitter up and running, and we have a website. So just follow and share because I think once people hear from us and know her best and they just hear the whole story, most people can see the logical side as to what, what is best for her and kind of understand this particular case um, 
as Toki as an individual. And there's just one more thing I want to add as well. You know, anyone out there who's thinking, oh, you know, this is this is just about Toki or this could only happen to Toki. Um, no, activists don't think like that. They won't stop until there are no cetaceans in human care. You know, this is just the beginning. So if we roll over and accept this, it could be the other animals next. And it's up to us, the ones that really know the truth, to stand up and say, we are doing nothing wrong. We are actively trying to improve the wild, the oceans, conservation. We are actively involved in all of this. Our animals that we have play a part in that. And none of us would be working with these animals if we thought that we were doing anything wrong. You know, every trainer goes into work and thinks, how could I ethically and morally do more? We all think that. We're like, did I do enough today? How can I How can I be better the next day? How can I improve my animal's life? So yeah, we all, we all need to stay together and yeah, we can't give up. Very well said. Yeah. Well, both of you, thank you so much for taking the time. This is going to be a very long episode, but thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure to have both of you. And I wish you both the absolute best of luck with this fight. Thank, thank you, you so much, Hazel. It means everything. Yeah, thank, thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, then don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe, and I will catch you all next week.